Hello, welcome to So What Are We Gonna Do About It? I'm going to be talking to some of my wonderful, lovely friends about passions that they have, how it relates to a need they see in the world, and then something tangible and practical that we as listeners can do to make change in that area. So today I am with my wonderful, wonderful friend, Anne-Marie Cromer. Anne-Marie, who are you? What's your story? (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Um, Who am I? So I would define myself as a partner and a daughter, uh, certainly a cousin, hopefully a friend. I'm also a Christian. I am a woman in science, technology, engineering, and math. I am an artist and a traveler, and I'm pretty good at being uh, very adequate at a lot of different hobbies I have. Mm, We love that jack-of-all-trades energy. (laughs) That's the way to live. So, Anne-Marie, what is something that you are passionate about? Yeah, uh, from a young age, I think I've always been very passionate about inclusivity, trying to include others. Um, There's lots of good research out there that shows that when we include everyone, it's not just about being morally upright and doing the right thing, but there are real tangible benefits for um, our own health and our own social wellness. Um, And in a more tangible sense, that has translated to my professional career in user experience research with the field of accessibility and trying to make inclusive and accessible software designs at the software company I work for. I'm so bad at coding. <laughs> like all of the details involved. My like we're using this like Discord bot to record this right now and even like sending that like simple code in here my brain was like ah semicolons and like it wasn't going well. So that major props to you. STEM is not <laughs> is not my gift. I think People can definitely get caught up a little bit when they hear buzzwords, you know, accessibility, inclusivity. (laughs) There's lots of letters flying around. But when it comes to accessibility, um, it definitely is not just limited to the software world. We can make accessible choices um, in pretty much every aspect of our day-to-day lives. You have this passion for accessibility, but also this gift, talent, and this like natural inclination towards STEM and coding. So can you talk a little bit about where that passion comes from and how STEM and all of that sort of realm of thinking and your interest in software and your job all fit together. Yeah, so I was definitely raised in a STEM family. Um, My grandfather is a materials engineer and he's been in research pretty much his whole life. So I grew up with a passion for STEM And uh, when I was in high school, I started volunteering with Special Olympics. I taught hockey and learned to skates for children and young adults with different um, ability levels. And I knew um, just from that experience that I had an interest in inclusivity and accessibility to some degree. I really witnessed people in my community um, who, even though they were living down the street, in my same neighborhood were experiencing um, my city a lot differently than I was. And their day-to-day interactions were a lot different than mine. So um, as I progressed in my career and in college, I discovered accessibility. I pursued software. And when I got into user experience research, which is all about making sure that software is as intuitive and inclusive and accessible as possible, 
all of my interests and my backgrounds kind of just clicked. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what software accessibility is and why it's important? Yeah, so software accessibility has a lot of different different definitions. Um, legislation for software accessibility didn't really come out in the United States till the 1970s, um, till the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. But software accessibility, also called A11Y, um, there's 11 letters between the A and the Y in accessibility, hence A11Y for shorthand. Accessibility doesn't seem like a very accessible word. It's not. It's <laughs> not to get fake <laughs> No, A11Y is definitely helpful uh, for shorthand. Um, but accessibility, A11Y, and software can mean a lot of different things. It can range from making sure that there's enough contrast in your font. If you have a white font on a yellow background or a light gray font on a white background, someone with uh, weakened vision might have difficulty seeing that. Or if you have images on your website or on your software and someone is trying to use a screen reader and there's no alt text associated with those images, the screen reader will say, well, there's an image here. I don't know what it is, but there's an image there. And that person is kind of losing some of the value from that page. So my job as a UX researcher is to research about how my company can improve our software for not just users that are fully able-bodied and have all of the capabilities that a human being can have, but um, for humans that have different skill sets and different ability levels as well to make sure that the experience is fully inclusive and fully accessible for everyone that could potentially use the software. You kind of hit on this a little bit and when you were talking about the passion side of things, uh, but how does that passion relate to a need that you see in the world? So one in four Americans has a disability and when you're thinking about 25% of the population experiencing the internet, experiencing the grocery store, experiencing driving and reading and cooking and eating maybe differently than you do, um, that's kind of shocking news to some people. Um, I don't think that a lot of folks realize how many people uh, experience life in a really different way than they do just next door or down the street. So trying to take into account those different experiences and making sure that when it comes to your community, everyone has equal footing and everyone has the same opportunities, regardless of the abilities that they were born with or that they now have, is important to creating an inclusive and a functional community. Yeah, I think especially since we live in a very online world, we had already been moving that direction. And then now... With the COVID-19 pandemic, people are working from home, people are doing school from home, a lot of seniors are, you know, ordering <laughs> groceries from home because it's not as safe to just be out and about. People are going to be um, having to, like, celebrate holidays online, and it's very much so a learning curve, and so making that as accessible as possible for people who, like, aren't as familiar with the, the virtual world as well as just being able to read the instructions is so crucial. You're absolutely right. And um, a lot of us have experienced disabilities, even if we might not categorize them as disabilities, but a lot of us have experienced disabilities 
being um, stuck home in this COVID-19 pandemic. You know, if you're diagnosed with COVID-19, that is a temporary impairment to your abilities. You can't just walk out and go to the grocery store. And maybe that'll give a person a little bit more insight to the way someone who relies on a wheelchair uh, for mobility outside of their house. You know, both of those people can't just walk out of their house. It takes a lot of planning to get groceries. So I think if there is a silver lining with this pandemic, it's realizing that the way of life that many of us are used to, that 75% of us are used to, um, is really different (laughs) for that 25%. And we've been able to kind of learn some of the ways that those with accessibility concerns live their lives day to day that we've been forced to accommodate to uh, just to survive this pandemic. I'm actually taking a disability studies course this semester. It's really interesting, like reading about how ableism is just builds into so much of our like societal foundations and it's so normalized that we don't really think about it. And as I'm like learning all of these things about the world, I get so caught up in not knowing what to do about it and just feeling so powerless. So the big reason why I wanted to have this podcast is to talk to people who have this knowledge and this passion for different things and then provide a tangible way that we as listeners in our daily lives or when opportunities pop up can actually make a difference. So, Anne-Marie, what are we going to do about accessibility? What are we going to do about it? Uh, You're absolutely right. One of the biggest obstacles when it comes to trying to adapt to a new mindset to changing something is thinking, I'm only one person. What difference is it going to make? So as the first task, I think, with overcoming anything is throwing that mindset out the door, because even if you make only one difference, uh, maybe you're making a Christmas themed PowerPoint and you have red on green, red text on a green background, and you present that to someone with um, a red green colorblindness, well, they can't see it. And that'll make a difference in their day. Maybe it won't matter to you, but that will make a big difference in their day. Maybe bum them out. When you take the time when you're making that presentation to say, hmm, is this accessible as it can be? Uh, that can really make a difference for that one person. So I would say in all of your interactions, try and ask yourself, am I being as inclusive as I can? And probably the first step there is educating yourself. Learn about accessibility. A great resource is the Disability Visibility Project. It has firsthand stories from those in the um, accessibility advocacy community. You can learn a lot about the experiences Um, of people within that 25% of the population who are living their lives a little bit differently than we are. And um, once you've educated yourself and continue to educate yourself, uh, ask yourself that question in your community. What can I do to make my immediate community more accessible? Do we have wheelchair ramps? Do we have software and websites, you know, for my city that um, is inclusive to folks with screen readers. And it doesn't even have to be that big. It can be smaller things, you know, on this Zoom call, um, do I have closed captioning turned on in case someone in the Zoom call is deaf? There are a million little things that you can do to really make big differences in the lives of the people around you. And it will add up, people will notice, and it will matter. We shouldn't bully people for for using comic stands. <laughs> because like, I remember reading 
somewhere that it's like actually a really good font for people with dyslexia to be able to like it's very readable and we're like comic sans sucks but like that's more a sidebar are there any resources that you would recommend to help people in their journey of educating themselves and also ways to check their presentations their websites for possible oversights in accessibility Absolutely. And I love that you bring up the Comic Sans debate uh, because <laughs> I've certainly heard that before. Even as someone like me that, you know, is actively working and trying to understand accessibility more and more, I just learned this year that there's an entire font uh, for people with dyslexia that is better, um, a little bit makes the experience of reading better for folks with dyslexia to use. So there's lots more to consistently keep learning about. Um, if you're wondering, you know, how the things you're interacting with online might be perceived differently by someone with a disability on the day-to-day, -day, um, I definitely recommend the uh, Google Store extension. It's called Site Improve Accessibility Checker. You turn that on, you go log on to Facebook, and I think it's really fascinating to see how many accessibility concerns will be flagged on this website. Uh, it'll point out every single little detail that, you know, oh, a screen reader user can't see this. A person with a colorblindness issue can't see this. And kind of recognizing that the things you do day to day aren't as accessible to the people around you is a really good way to put into perspective the importance of creating a more accessible community. All right. Thank you so much, Avery. I've learned so much <laughs> just in this short little conversation. I'm so glad. And I'm definitely learning too. I think like you said, sometimes we get caught up trying to change the world all in one go, but I'm still learning every day. I could probably keep trying to learn for a lifetime and I still won't know it all. But uh, if you really try and make a difference, even if it's just, you know, for one person with a different ability level, that's huge for that person. And that kind of effect can really spark a big change. So I hope, I hope this is helpful for someone trying to, you know, make an immediate change in their community. Yeah. And I love that. Even if like, for me, I probably won't be making a lot of websites in my life or someone else is like, I am really bad at technology. You know, like even in when you have a PowerPoint that you're presenting in class, or if you're presenting something like, at your job thinking about is this accessible or like even when you said just like running a zoom call is there closed captioning just like all of these things that you wouldn't normally think about so i'll be linking the um extension that you mentioned in the description of this episode so all you lovely listeners can utilize that resource and then also Anne marie i know that you have a wonderful small business that I want to give you the opportunity to hype up on here. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for giving me that platform. Um, I am the artist and owner of Many Tiny Lines. I do architectural illustrations with black and white ink. It's kind of my side hustle in addition to user experience research. So if you're ever interested in seeing any of my artwork, if you Google at Many Tiny Lines on the internet, you will pretty much find me on all forms of social media and Etsy. All right. Thank you so much, Anne-Marie. Thank you so much, Mary Claire. <laughs> this has been So What Are We Gonna Do About It? With me, your host, Mary Claire Punkel. Again, 
Our guest this week was Anne-Marie Kramer, and our lovely theme music was written by my wonderful friend, Bree Snyder. Thanks for tuning in.